the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. Um, It feels like my last show was a couple days ago, so now I don't know what that means. During this time, I've noticed that each day seems to feel like two or three days, and each week seems like a month. But it feels like I was sitting at my chair here in my office talking to you just the other day, and it's been a full week since then. So I don't know what it is. It seems like time uh, goes speeds up and slows down kind of randomly during this time, where every day pretty much seems to be the same. But uh, I want to assure you all out there that I am, in fact, here. I am, in fact, speaking to you live on the air. <clears throat> this is not pre-recorded. It's Friday, May 22nd, 2020, in case you're keeping track of those things. And I'm available today to answer your questions on the air. I don't have a guest today, but I'm looking forward to having some great guests in the next month or so. Uh, one's a colleague of mine who is an elder law specialist, and the other one is another host on um, the show on this uh, radio station as well. Um, and he's got a, a new company he's uh, putting together that's going to be of interest in the estate planning arena. And I'm looking forward to having him on probably within another month or so. So if you'd like to call in, please feel to... I'm sorry. Uh, I also have... uh, I have coronavirus brain right now because sleep seems to be um, at a premium during this time. And uh, fortunately and unfortunately, I got a little more rest last night than I have been, which means that... Uh, sometimes my brain is now working faster than my mouth is, so I trip over my words a little bit now and then. So, I am available to ask questions on the air. The number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Or you can email a question to me at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio at L-A-W-B-O-B dot com if you'd like to talk that way. I want to share with you uh, a little bit of what's been going on in the last couple of months. I have found that uh, I am doing a lot of court work, specifically in the area of what what I've talked about in the past, the Hegstat petition and trust modification petitions. I probably have... um, I just got one back in the mail today. 
a Hegstat petition with a signed order. I was happy to see that. I've got uh, two others that went out this, excuse me, two others that went out this week, and I suspect that I'll have a couple more going out in the next week or so. But if you don't know what those are, let me briefly explain what they are. Um, the Hegstat petition is a court petition in the probate court where we're asking the judge to sign a court order declaring that property in the name of someone who has just died is in fact property that is supposed to be in the trust that they had established before they died. So it is a, uh, a way to go through the court system and avoid having to um, do a full probate of property, which can take many, many months, maybe even a year or more in most counties, but instead go into the court system and have the judge, uh, by giving proof to the judge that the person intended the property to be part of their trust, have the judge actually sign a court order declaring that the property is in fact property owned by the trust and it doesn't have to go through the whole probate process. It's a great petition. <clears throat> I do them for uh, for clients here in the Bay Area. I also do them for uh, clients of attorneys in other parts of the state, uh, especially Southern California, where it's very difficult to have a petition like this actually heard by a court down there and have the petition granted by a court down there. The other type of, <clears throat> excuse me, the other type of petitions that I've been doing are trust modification petitions, often done where there is an irrevocable or unchangeable trust that either doesn't have the right information in it for a family to accomplish what the family wants to accomplish, or else it requires a surviving spouse to actually do things with the property in the trust, like divide it up into a revocable and an irrevocable share where the surviving spouse may not want to do that for a whole host of reasons, uh, ease of administration, uh, protecting um, capital gains, step up in cost basis, look up cost basis, you'll find out what I'm talking about there. Uh, when the surviving spouse dies, those are all reasons why we might modify an irrevocable trust and uh, I do a lot of those as well to solve, again, problems for families. I am a problem solver as an attorney, and my goal, primary goal as an attorney, is to help families plan their estates for the orderly transition of their property to the next generation, plan for incapacity if someone becomes incapacitated while alive, making sure that there are legal documents in place to permit people that you have selected to handle things for you. Uh, in the absence of doing planning ahead of time, if you become incapacitated, no one can really handle things for you if it's in your name. And uh, that will mean that the family will have to go to court and get a conservatorship for you, which is very expensive and time consuming. And it's an ongoing expense. And um, that's one of the uh, topics I'm going to have coming up hopefully in the next month or so when I get my colleague on the show who is an elder law specialist and uh, handles conservatorship matters on a regular basis. And he'll be able to educate us more about that. I don't do them myself, but I'm aware of what the issues are and, uh, and I choose not to do them because um, they tend to be 
pretty labor-intensive, and I'm not really set up with a staff to assist with that. So I leave those to my colleague in town who actually has um, himself, another attorney, and then staff members to assist with um, all of the uh, the paperwork that is necessary uh, to do uh, to do things like that. So those are the two types of petitions I've been doing a great deal of in the last couple of months, and uh, and I already, I have other ones that I know are going to be coming up. Though I've already talked with people and we're getting the process started. If you have a situation like that, please feel free to call my office at four zero eight. Two four seven zero four four four, and leave me a message. I'll get that message pretty quickly. And uh, or you can email me at radio at lawbob.com if you have a situation like that. I don't charge for consultations. Right now, I'm doing consultations mostly virtually uh, using join.me uh, and meeting with people through a teleconference there, kind of like Zoom. Um, but I don't really use Zoom because of the issues that Zoom has had with. With security lately, I, I use a less known but still equally effective platform for that purpose. Or you can actually have an in-person consultation with me in my office. Now my office is open again. We would do social distancing, wear masks, and I would basically sanitize all hard surfaces. Although according to the CDC, maybe that's not such a big deal anymore. And uh, you could come in and meet me face-to-face in my office in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. We're coming up on the first break of the show today. When when I come back, I'm going to jump back into questions and comments from around the state of California. In the meantime, if you'd like to call and ask me a question, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. So when we come back after the break, I'll continue the show, Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Welcome back. Welcome back. Excuse me. A little dry today. I kind of warm outside, and I think the rains have passed for a while. When that happens, my throat tends to dry out. Uh, for those of you, if you've been listening to like my theme music for the last couple of years, and and you've liked it, and you kind of wonder, well, where does that come from, Bob? Well, it actually is a song called "American Millennium" from uh, the album Moonlight written by uh, John Paul Gasparelli, uh, now John Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, a personal friend of mine, um, someone that I knew back in my days with the San Jose Children's Musical Theater, now just Children's Musical Theater. And uh, he, he, I knew him as a, as a kid there when I was in college. He was one of the kids working with the group, as I did. And he went on to become a professional musician at one point, running the uh, the music side of Cirque du Soleil's O show at the Bellagio in Las Vegas, and uh, the last time I had uh, contact with him, he was running a children's theater up in Oregon. But uh, his album Moonlight, um, if you search for a Moonlight album, you'll find that in American Millennium. He has very graciously allowed me to use his music as the theme music for my show for 
uh, over two years now. And um, just because of uh, the long long time friendship we've had. So if you like that music, see if you can find it. Maybe you can actually get his entire album. It's a great album. Um, it features a lot of his work as a pianist and uh, also his, uh, his vocal abilities as well, which are first rate. So back here in the show, if you'd like to give me a call, again, it's 800-516-1220. If someone calls, I'll, I'll interrupt myself to go to the caller. But right now, I'm going to dive into some questions and comments from around the state of California. Some of the uh, the situations that people find themselves in. And uh, if you just tuned in for the first time today, what I do is I go through a number of situations that actually come to me uh, in my email. Uh, questions that people have around the state where they're looking for answers. So what I like to do is I like to pose those questions and then give my responses on the air in the hope that if you're in a similar situation, <clears throat> you may uh, get some guidance as to what you can do or not do and uh, maybe help you get a little better educated about estate planning in general and sometimes about what I do in particular. Now, here's a pretty straightforward question. This person said, I created a revocable living trust, but I'm not sure how specific assets should be listed on a schedule of assets. Uh, how specific must I be? For example, do I put blank bank account or the whole account number? Well, my practice, which is kind of the considered now the best practice in estate planning, is to list the name of the bank, perhaps even the type of account, like checking account, savings account, money market account, and then ending in, and then put the last four numbers of the account. Uh, some attorneys will also put like a little, um, a little hashtag or asterisk for each digit before the last four numbers that actually appear. But the idea is to uh, identify the bank and an account number um, that, is, that is at the bank in the name of the person who set up the trust. Now, in general, in general, to be absolutely sure that something is in a trust, you want to actually have it retitled into the trust name. That would mean going to the bank and saying, I want this account that I have in my name put into the name of my trust. Many banks will require you to close that account and open up a new account um, in the name of the trust, which is perfectly fine, except a lot of people have an existing bank account that has direct deposit of their paycheck or their social security check or a pension check. It may also have direct debits to pay for your utilities, your phone bill, payments on credit cards or other cards or even your mortgage. And so closing out that account and opening a new one actually means you have to set up all that other automatic stuff again. That may mean sending in canceled checks places, uh, going online, filling out forms, maybe signing forms, sending forms in, all kinds of stuff. But at the very least, an asset schedule should list the name of a financial institution, maybe the type of account, and then the and ending in the last four numbers of that particular account. 
so that if you had to go to court later on to have that account confirmed as part of the trust, that's where the Hegstat petition comes in sometimes, that there will be enough evidence there that you intended that account to be part of your trust so that a judge could actually sign an order declaring it to be part of your trust and then uh, not have to go through the whole probate process. Now, here's a question that actually um, I can answer because this is the way I do it. Um, An elderly former neighbor of ours recently had a living trust created in California by a California attorney uh, when she lived here in California and expected to continue long term. She has two questions she asked me to obtain answers for her about. First one, the attorney who created the trust documents for her served as both the notary and one of the two witnesses to her will that was prepared as part of the estate plan. Is the trust valid if the attorney served in these three capacities? Now, in this capacity, um, they're saying creator, notary, and witness. Well, first of all, the attorney who draws up the trust is not the creator of the trust. The creator of the trust is the person the trust is drawn up for in this case, the elderly former neighbor. They would be called the creator, the trustor, the settlor, the trust maker. All of those things kind of mean the same thing. The drafting attorney is just the drafting attorney, not the creator of the trust. But an attorney can act as the notary public. I do that as a matter of course on all the estate plans that I draft. I've been a notary now over 40 years. And uh, which means I've been a notary the entire time I've been practicing law. And I act as the notary. I typically also act as one of the two witnesses on the special will that is created as part of a living trust estate plan called a pour-over will that's designed to direct property into the person's trust after they've died uh, rather than being distributed from a probate estate. The pour-over will is one of the documents that I can use as an attorney in a Hegstat petition to get assets in someone's name when they die turned over to their trust without going through the whole probate process. So it's a very important document. I act as the notary public on, on the documents that need to be notarized, and I typically act as one of the witnesses as well. I believe that means that my documents carry a little bit more weight than most because I am also board certified in estate planning and um, estate planning probate and trust law by the State Bar Board of Legal Specialization, which shows that I am a more senior attorney uh, with special expertise in estate planning. Uh, That means that if I have acted as the notary, if I have acted as one of the witnesses, I believe that makes any attack on those documents far less likely to be successful because someone with my qualifications was directly involved in uh, notarizing and witnessing the documents. Uh, So that's uh, kind of a short answer to that. Now here, here, um, well, let's see, I I guess we have about a minute to go uh, in this segment, so uh, I'm not going to start a new one. I'll I'll continue when we get back after the uh, mid-show break. But if you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. I'd love to talk to somebody today, even if it's just for you to share with me how you're dealing with the 
shelter-in-place orders that we've been dealing with here in the Bay Area for over two months now. I know my uh, family, my wife and my kids and I, were all stir-crazy and we're trying to figure out things to do. Even if you want to call in and say what great things a family could do right now, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. So when we come back after the break, we'll continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. We'll talk with you then. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Well, I'm going to move on with more uh, questions and comments from around the state of California. And I kind of range over a wide variety of topics. And they're kind of random. But um, uh, hopefully that makes it a little bit more interesting sometimes because you're probably going to hear something you haven't heard before and go, wow, I didn't know about that. Or else you're going to go, my goodness, that actually uh, is similar to a situation I'm dealing with right now and uh, so it may actually uh, give you um, give you some insights and uh, situation you're dealing with at this time <clears throat> so here we go um, so when someone dies and they had a trust does uh, the required notice under the law of administration and a copy of the trust have to be mailed out to beneficiaries with certified mail um, the answer is no. It just needs to be sent out. There's a probate code section 16061.7 that requires uh, notice of, uh, of an irrevocable trust that the person's died, a uh, copy of the terms of the trust typically provided um, as part of that notice, but it doesn't have to be sent out um, by certified mail. Now, in some situations, if the trustee is anticipating that there are going to be problems with um, various heirs or beneficiaries that are entitled to receive the notice, that they're going to fight about it or that they're going to uh, pretend that they never received it or something like that, then sending it certified um, might be something that's recommended just so you have some proof that it was received by a person. But in the usual course of, of uh, most administrations, just sending it out regular mail is sufficient. The fact that it was sent uh, is all that is necessary to comply with the law. Okay, now here's oh, here's one out of uh, out of my county actually, out of the city of Sunnyvale. <clears throat> Person says, "I am a beneficiary of a trust, and I've requested an annual accounting of the trust." But my sister, the trustee, has not complied. All she does is give vague accountings that don't describe expenses, make, uh, makes no mention of money, um, and all those kinds of things. I've requested an accounting. What I've gotten so far is just basic terms of accounting, just kind of vague, vague information. How do I get an accounting, and what do I do about the vague entries given thus far. Well, here's um, the good news and the bad news. The good news is that you can get an accounting from the trustee. The bad news is if the trustee is not willing to comply with the law voluntarily, then the trustee may need to be taken to court to have the court order 
the accounting to be provided, or in the alternative, that the trustee be removed as the trustee and replaced with a new trustee who is going to actually comply with the law. So that's kind of the good news and bad news of it there. Good news is you can actually uh, get it done. The bad news is that it's probably going to um, take going to court to actually get that accomplished. All right, uh, here's another one. When a trustee settles an irrevocable trust, and settling a trust means basically taking all the steps uh, necessary to uh, pay final bills, to uh, value assets and get ready to distribute everything. Um, uh, when the trustee settles an irrevocable trust and sells the family home and the proceeds are divided amongst the beneficiaries, how are capital gains taxes handled? Well, I think what's implicit in this question is that this is a trust that was an irrevocable trust and had been for some time and it actually owned the family home. Um, the other possibility is it's a trust that became irrevocable when a parent died, and that was fairly recently. So I'll take the, the answer to the question um, both directions. First of all, if it's a recent death and the trust became irrevocable because the parent died and then the property sold right away, it's very likely that there is no taxable capital gain on the sale of the family home. This is because the family home, if it was owned entirely by the, the parent that died in their trust, it will get revalued to the current market value of that house on the date that the parent died. So for example, if it was originally a half a million dollars and when the parent died, now it's worth 800,000, <clears> it will be passed on at the $800,000 value for income tax purposes. If the property is then sold and the net amount realized from the sale after cost of sale is less than the $800,000, then there will be no capital gains tax paid by the family. If, on the other hand, it was an irrevocable trust that's been around for a while, and when the trust was created, the property went in at a half a million dollars in value, and today it's worth $800,000 when the parent dies. Then when the property sold, the $300,000 or the net amount from the sale that's over $500,000 <clears> would in fact be subject to capital gains tax. And typically the sale will be made, the proceeds will be distributed out to the, uh, to the beneficiaries, they will get what's called a K-1 form, which shows them how what share of the proceeds came to them and what type of income it was, in this case, capital gains income. Then the trustee needs to turn around and make sure that all the beneficiaries have doc basically have documented evidence of what the uh, what the cost basis is in the property, that's the half million dollars. How did we arrive at the half million dollars? Was it done by an appraisal at the time the trust was created? Um, when, you know, how did that happen? Because the individual beneficiaries will have to declare whatever portion of what they received is not taxable 
and what portion is actually subject to capital gains tax. So, uh, here we go. A CPA dies intestate, that means no will, no estate plan of any kind, with clients still owing big bucks as receivables. Are these funds part of the CPA's estate or are they owed to the CPA's business? Well, the answer to that question has everything to do with how was the CPA's business organized. If the CPA was what we call a sole proprietor, meaning the CPA operated under his or her own name as a solo practitioner of accountancy and did not have any kind of a business organization like a partnership or LLC, professional corporation or C corporation, that is how they were conducting business, then that means the receivables are owed directly to the CPA's estate, the intestate estate, and the administrator appointed by the court to handle that estate is the one that has the ability to go after and collect those receivables um, and actually would have the obligation to at least try to collect those receivables. If the CPA was operating as um, as a professional corporation or C corporation or LLC, whatever might be permitted, then the monies are owed to the company and then the CPA's estate, intestate estate, would become the owner of the company. And, and so really you have the company in between having the money go directly to the estate. It would mean then whoever takes over the company as the administrator can go after receivables on behalf of the company rather than directly on behalf of the estate. How much time do I have left, Vince? Okay, so we got about a minute to go in this segment. I'm not going to start a, um, a new thing. I'm going to save the, the ones that I have here for the last part of the show today. But again, if you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. I'd be happy to talk with you today. It'd be nice to have someone on, on the show. It's been a couple of weeks since someone called in. And uh, please, if you're listening, call in 800-516-1220. Don't worry, I'm very gentle on the phone. I won't bite your head off. I don't yell at you like uh, some talk show hosts will do. Be happy to talk with you this afternoon. So we'll be coming back shortly for the final segment of the show. Uh, until then, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and I will get back to you after this commercial break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Uh, Welcome back for the final segment of our show today. I have um, four or five, I think four or five other situations to cover before we're done today. I want to urge you all, if, if you would like to consult with me, it's pretty easy to do. You can go to my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. Click on the, the link uh, for a free estate planning consultation. 
Um, you do that, and I'll get paperwork back to you. You can pick a date and time that works for you. Uh, right now, I am doing consultations uh, Sunday through Thursday evenings, if that works better for you. If you're working throughout the day, I am doing some on Saturday mornings as well. And once my children, um, once my children are done with school, which is roughly another week and a half, I'll be opening my days up again for uh, consultations because they will be uh, doing other things rather than having me sit there and help them with their, um, well, at least help one of them with with uh, schoolwork. So I'll be uh, more available during the daytime. All right, so here's someone who says they've applied for a HELOC. That's a home equity line of credit loan. And they're being asked to sign an inter vivos revocable trust writer. What does that mean? Well, a writer typically, when you're talking about a loan writer, it's basically this person probably has their house owned by a living trust, and uh, the writer is basically to let the lender know this house is owned by a living trust. The writer might also say something to the effect of if you transfer the property out of the trust or if you... Um, uh, if you transfer the property out of the trust, then maybe the loan is triggered. Um, that's a possibility. But the more likely thing is it's just to make it clear that they can do this home equity line on this property owned by the person's living trust, titled in the name of the living trust, and, um, and that's okay. And if for some reason they have to foreclose on the loan and foreclose on it um, titled in the trust, that the person has signed on behalf of the trust and the lender can actually foreclose if they need to. Okay, now here's someone uh, got a claim for homeowner's property tax exemption and it was based on this. Um, Grandma left my mom and I her house and her trust. She passed away April of 2019 and I received a claim for homeowner's property tax exemption. It asks for the acquired date. Um, is that the date of her death or the date that the property or deed was recorded under our names? Uh, the acquired date, I think the appropriate acquired date would be the date of grandma's death um, as that being when the ownership interest was actually vested or you had the right to the property. Um, if you put it as the date that you recorded the deed, I don't know that it really matters one way or the other, as long as you're not trying to, to claim the property tax exemption for a time earlier than when you had a right to the property. But that's the kind of question. You might even want to call and ask the assessor's office about that what they're expecting to see because I don't know that there's any particular explanation that I could give that would be absolutely uh, crystal clear or certain uh, given the fact that we don't really know um, what a lot of things are with the forms that we fill out because they don't really give instructions. They just kind of expect you to grope your way through and guess at it and if you don't guess right then they'll send it back and saying wrong answer and then they'll ask you to fill it out in a different way and I've experienced that as an attorney over the years 
you think that you're doing it the right way. They come back and say, no, do it this way, and you can't see why. But what I've learned is fill out the forms that the government wants the way they want them filled out, and your life will be less stressful overall. Okay, um, here it says, I'm the trustee in a trust with my sister. Is the real property... Is the real property already in the name of the trust typically, or do my sister and I do this? Is it part of the service an attorney does to make sure the real property is in the name of the trust? Uh, well, typically, um, I do that. I draw the uh, deeds up for property to put it into the trust. If it's in another state, then I engage an attorney in the other state to draw up that paperwork to get to me so I can have it signed by my client, then sent back so it can be recorded in that state. Um, then the second question is, at the time of death, does the property automatically go to the trustees without probate? Well, uh, if they're already the trustees on the property, they don't need to do anything different other than start handling the property because the uh, original owner has died. If the original owner is on the title, then you need to take steps to remove their name and put your names on as the trustees. That's typically done with an affidavit of change of trustee. Well, we're coming up on in the show today. I hope you've learned some things. I hope it's been informative. I hope you keep tuning in to me here at Plan Your Estate Radio. Uh, I'm estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. I practice in San Jose. You can find me at lawbob.com. I'm, I'm coming up on 40 years of practice in December of this year, and it feels like I started practicing a few years ago, but um, but still... As I get older, I get younger because I have young kids. And those of you who are older with young kids, I think you know what I mean. So until next week, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. And we'll talk with you next week. Maybe I'll have a guest. Tune in to find out. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved.